0: Today, I'm joined by Janelle Sherman, who leads a ministry called Christ-Centered Couple. From the beginning, marriage has been part of God's plan for humanity. It was God who made us male and female. And God who said, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, two becoming one sounds romantic, but in reality, it's often a painful process God uses to reshape our perspective, our character, and our values. It's no surprise that sin and the fall have greatly damaged our understanding and practice of marriage. Janelle's ministry helps couples center their marriage on Christ and actively choose unity instead of division. There's a lot in this conversation, and even if you're not married, there's much to learn from Janelle in this episode. Before starting Christ-centered couple, Janelle served on staff with the Well Training and Discipleship Ministry in Tampa for eight years, discipling women leading Bible studies, speaking at conferences, and actively mentoring others. I enjoyed this conversation and know it will be an encouragement to many of you. Janelle, welcome on to the show. It's a pleasure to have you.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: You are someone who I got to know through a mutual friend, Susie Walter, and we had Susie on the show a few months back. Um, And she actually recommended that I speak with you because of the work that God has done in your life, um, your experience in discipling others and the ministry that you have Christ Centered Couple. So We're gonna get into all of that. Um, Many of our listeners are familiar with the well ministry there in Tampa, but I wanted to ask you a little about your backstory. So how did you come to faith? I know that you've been following the Lord, um, seeking first the kingdom really for the past 10 plus years. So what was it that led you to Christ? Maybe tell us a little bit about your background and your story.
1: Sure. So um, I'm 100% Puerto Rican. Both of my parents are um, from Puerto Rico, and um, I'm kind of like that first generation, um, you know, here, and the first one to graduate from college and kind of get that stuff started. So um, I have been fortunate enough to, you know, have both languages and be kind of in both cultures my whole life. Um, we lived on military bases my entire life, and I grew up with a mom who had a really strong faith. Both my parents had a lot of um, strong faith, but my mother in particular, I remember her always reading the Bible and just emulating what it would look like to follow Jesus, just loving people. And so I always knew um, about God. I believed there was a God, um, but my mother didn't drive and, um, she, you know, so never took us to church. So we never went to church growing up. Um, and it wasn't until I was in youth group that I really first, um, I guess I would say, surrendered my life to Christ in youth group at 15 years old. I heard a story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from Daniel chapter three. And I thought, I want to be like those guys. Hmm. Um, You know, I want to have a faith like that and know that God's going to be with me no matter the fire, no matter what comes. And so I surrendered my life to Christ there in youth group shortly after my mom got diagnosed with terminal breast cancer. And she ended up passing away in my teen years. And I prayed for her to be healed. And in my little faith, you know, as a teenager, um, God did not answer that prayer. And um, that silence from God um, really affected my relationship with Him. And so I turned away um, from God until about 26 And then at 26 years old, a woman invited me to church at a business meeting and everything was going wrong in my life. And so I I went to church. And so I began adding church in thinking that would somehow fix the brokenness in my 20s that was going on. Um, But it wasn't until I was in, I guess I should say, like I totally hit rock bottom in 2012 um, and I got invited probably for the 20th time to the well. (laughs) Um, I had said no many, many times, um, but in this particular occasion, I was open, obviously, and I decided to show up. And um, that's where I very first heard this idea of Jesus not only being Savior, but being Lord of my life. And so I had knew Jesus as a savior. I had said that prayer, like I said, when I was 15 and I believed that I was going to go to heaven when I died. That was kind of this, this thing. I was like, yeah, I don't, do you want to go to hell or do you want to go to heaven when you die? Do you know we are going to die? You know, where you're going to go. And so that was more the premise then, but now, um, attending the well for the first time, I was challenged with this idea of Jesus is Lord and if he is Lord, then that means he has the right to rule in every area of my life. And I began learning disciplines like reading the Bible and praying. And um, that Lordship became real for me. I was able to begin to surrender those things in my life and and begin to actually live for Jesus for the first time.
0: I love hearing people's stories because obviously um, we're going to have a conversation here over the next 30 minutes. And hopefully we'll just get to capture some of the highlights of what God has done in your life but there's there's such a rich story of God's faithfulness and God's patience and God's goodness in mm-hmm. our, all of our stories and you know I, I I hear that just in what you were sharing there some of the different themes with God's faithfulness over time to to bring you to himself and to help you understand more of his character and what it actually means to to have faith and and to belong to him. I was um, I was reviewing one of my memory verses uh, earlier today out of Colossians chapter two, and many people will be familiar with these verses, verses six and seven. But it says, therefore, just as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, being rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And like every phrase in those verses has meaning. So, you know, many of us, I think, have a a similar experience. I know I had an experience similar to yours where the gospel I was presented to in my earlier years, or the gospel that was presented to me in my earlier years was really about avoiding hell and getting to heaven after this life is over. But it didn't really connect me to Jesus, (laughs) you know, and it didn't really have much to say about what life should look like in this life as as a person of faith so you know god's god's goodness to draw us to himself and and to help us discover and that's not something that that always happens overnight so i hope folks that hear your story will keep that in mind not just for themselves but many of us have family members and friends that we've been praying for and reaching out to, and maybe we have reached out to them 19 times to invite them to something <laughs> like The Well. And, and we just need to keep praying and, and keep living yeah. a life of faith because God is at work.
1: He is at work and in his timing, you know, he'll, he'll bring us to the, to that awakening. And like to your, you know, to your point there where you said that about, that's one of the most important things I've learned from being part of the well training and discipleship ministry is that complete understanding of the gospel to really understand it. And like, in my opinion, um, what the well calls, I guess too, is just this, I had a cheap grace gospel. It was kind of this idea of no matter what I did, God's going to forgive me. Um, And I could kind of live however I wanted until I got to heaven. And, you know, attending the conference that they have, Reclaiming the Gospel which is basically helping us put those missing pieces back into the gospel. Um, And that really showed me that the gospel is, you know, a story, helped me to understand what is that story and be able to, you know, explain that story to others. And then the gospel is a power. It's not just this free gift You know, that I get and then I can put it on a shelf when I want to go drinking or go do things that maybe, you know, oh, maybe Jesus might not go to these places. So I'll just leave my free gift back here. You know, Hmm. uh, it's no, the gospel is a power there. There should be transformation. There should be power there. And then the gospel is a relationship, you know, and that's through my prayer, through my time in the word. And then the gospel is a participation. You know, that was key for me, really realizing that um, when I surrendered my life to Christ, that was a vocational, you know, change. Like, uh, this is my job now. It's my job title. Um, I am a disciple who makes disciples. And I've got to participate um, through my prayers, you know, through um, my relationship with God and and become aware of the work that he's doing so that I can join it and and participate in it. So, you know, getting that full picture of, of what is the gospel And it's so much more than, um, you know, just that initial uh, surrender. It it involves an ongoing uh, surrender, Mm -hmm. kind of like, you know, I I don't retire until I expire. You know, Susan says a lot. (laughs) And and I love that because as long as I have breath, um, there's something God wants to do in and through me.
0: Yeah, I love it. And, and, you know, when Jesus told the the parable of the soils or of the sower where the the farmer went out and he cast seed on these different soils and all of those different types of ground were exposed to the message of the kingdom, um, the gospel that that Jesus was proclaiming. And yet um, only one, the fourth soil, the good soil. Uh, produced, grew, received the seed, grew, and then produced fruit, Uh, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold. Um, But one of the things that that characterizes true faith is transformation. And so if you think about like, well, those those three different soils that that did not ultimately bear fruit, um, that's the big thing that you would see, like if you had walked by those four fields at the time that the the sower was casting the seed, they would all look a certain way. But if you came back six months later, three of them would look the same way, but one would look completely different. And so I think that really goes to the, the point of what you're sharing there about the importance of having that, that full view and understanding of the gospel. And I love what you were saying there about the the participation, that the gospel is a call to participate, that God's brought us into his family and he wants us to be part of the family business. So you... You are in like a bit of a transition right now where you've, you've been part of the Well Ministry and you still are there in uh, Tampa, in the Tampa area, uh, but you're also, God has been leading you to to start a ministry called Christ-Centered Couple, and I'd love to hear some about how did that come about? Like you've had, you've had this history with the Well Training and Discipleship Ministry. How has that prepared you for where you understand God is taking you now? And can you tell us a little bit more about Christ-Centered Couple and why you chose that name. So I, I just asked you three questions. So let me back up. So <laughs> what what have you learned over the past eight years that has led you to this new venture of faith that you're taking?
1: Okay. So yeah, with the well, um, I've been, like you said, I was on staff with them for eight years with the well training and discipleship ministry. And God really allowed me to have a tremendous, um, I don't know, exposure to so many things and and discover gifts and talents and abilities that I would have never known that I had through leading Bible studies and conferences, mentoring women, um, you know, and and just being a part of the day in and day out operations of this ministry that God was clearly and still is clearly at work in was just an amazing season of my life. Um, Unfortunately, you know, COVID came and a lot of people were impacted, you know, by COVID in different ways. Um, our family was really negatively impacted by COVID financially. And my husband's job just took a big hit. And so um, I had to go back into the workforce after being in full-time ministry and homes. I was homeschooling my kids and kind of pretty stay-at-home mom. I had a very flexible, like a part-time thing that I did on my own time, payroll and invoicing. So I was able to do that on the side, but I didn't have a full-time job that demanded all of my time. And so, So I had to get back into the workforce and, um, I had a discussion with Susie and I remember that day, it was just one of the worst days of my life, honestly, Um, just sharing with her what I was going to have to do, what, what I had to do for my family at that time. And I remember her telling me, you know, I was just like, but it's going to be fine. I can still do everything that I'm doing and it's not going to change a thing. And I'm just going to like, boop, add this job in. And I remember her looking at me (laughs) and just saying, no, you know, that's not going to happen. And she um, really nicely, you know, basically told me, no, you know, you you cannot handle all of these things. And I was so thankful because it it released me, you know, of it because I didn't want to quit. You know, I didn't want to stop doing the work that I've been doing. I loved what I had Um, been doing. And, um, but God was very clearly saying it was going to be okay because he moved in these other women who God released them from their jobs, whose husbands, you know, were blessing them and joining the staff. And like, it was just very fluid. I mean, it took time. It wasn't like instant, but the Lord showed me over that year and a half that I had to enter the workforce that it's okay. It was his work and he was going to continue the work. Um, and I wasn't just, you know, not involved anymore. Um, I was just doing a different like part of the kingdom work, but I was still part right. of the kingdom work. Um, so it just began to look differently. I began to pray Lord, now what, you know, what is this supposed to look like for me? And it was a really rough season. I felt like I was like in the desert. I guess that would be like a desert wilderness time for me. These past probably two going on three years for me. Um, it's been just kind of me and God and, um, kind of longing for what I had before. I felt like the Israelites, like, oh, I wish we could be back in Egypt, you know, like or whatever, you know, I just wanted to go back and be where God had me before doing what I was doing before. And he was like, no, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing. And he, you know, years earlier in 2019, right before COVID, he had given us the really powerful verse, Isaiah 43, 19. Um and so that just kept on. That was just kind of my theme verse during that season reminding myself that he will make a way for the streams in the desert and um right. you know don't i perceive it he's doing something new. And so I just kept trusting and kept praying. Um and then something funny happened, you know, my son told me I should start TikToking because I was really <laughs> sad. I was just down. Um and not really liking uh, my day in and day out of my life. I was working eight to ten hours. I was on the phones all day, um, talking to people with no break uh, except for my one hour lunch that I had to clock off and clock on. You know, clock in and clock out. And um, I would rollerblade for thirty minutes, and I would make a seven to thirty second TikTok because nobody on TikTok has you know more of a attention span than fifteen <laughs> seconds. <laughs> So I'd make my seven to 15 second video, add some words, add some music. And I started realizing, you know, I just started talking about marriage and sharing the things that God had done in my marriage. And the principles that I, the biblical principles I had learned through the well and through Renovated, the wife conference. And um, it was really resonating with people. People were commenting. Millions of people were watching these videos and um, sending me private messages on just how broken their communication was in their marriage, how broken the intimacy was in their marriage, um, how out of order, you know, things had gotten from God's design. Um, and I just began praying like, God, what do you want me to do with this information? Like, I I, I, I already had a heart for marriages. The Lord had powerfully uh, restored my own marriage. So... I had helped Susie and others at the well lead marriage conferences and uh, be a part of the marriage ministry that God was doing here in the Tampa Bay area. Um, But I never thought it'd be something I'd do by myself, I guess. And during that season, God began to birth that in me and show me that you're going to do this um, by yourself. And you're going to show others how you centered your marriage on me, how you centered your life on me. How I transformed you, I transformed your husband, and then brought you both together and was able to transform that marriage. Um, So I feel like, you know, that was that dry season where God was saying, remember, remember what I did Mm. um, in your own marriage. Remember my past faithfulness um, and wait and trust me, Mm. you know. And in that, he began to birth that Christ-centered couple.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, I think that, again, there's so many themes there. We're not going to be able to explore them all. But I love the Isaiah 43:19, where that's the verse, if I'm remembering right, this is supposed to be a memory verse, uh, Janelle, so we'll see. But it, it's, it says, forget the former things, do not yes. dwell on the past. And I think that's so hard for us when the past has been something very rich and fulfilling and meaningful and full of, of love and relationships, when the past is a good thing to to... Yeah to step away from that or to step into the next chapter that God has for us is, is often very painful and, and difficult to do, you know, like your story of wanting to try to hang on and and add to, um, what, what God was doing, but, but, but not move on from that place that he had had you at the well during those years is, is, uh, something that many of us experience. But when you're in that desert, when you're in that in-between place, um, it's so difficult to trust God and yet it, it seems to me that that God often does that. It may even be that that's just the norm, that God rarely takes us from one rich season of contribution directly into the next season of rich contribution. Oftentimes there's this there's this pathway that lies between those two that as you described is, is kind of a desert place where we're mourning what is no longer Uh, part of our lives. And yet, we haven't yet stepped into what God is taking us to and and so to pray and to trust. And so cool that, you know, this conversation with your son was sort of the first, you know, domino that that kind of started things moving in this direction. Why did you name it Christ centered couple? And, you know, you've talked a little bit about what God did in your own marriage, but maybe share a little bit more about why this particular area of emphasis is something that you have a heart for.
1: For sure. So, um, main reason why I have a heart for this is because of, I guess, my own past brokenness. I feel like God really ends up using that kind of, he brings hope and healing into our lives to bring hope and healing into others, um, with the same, you know, comfort we've received from him. So the main thing was I was a a teenage girl. My mom got cancer. Um, she passed away. My, my dad moved on very quickly And I began looking for love in all the wrong places, to be honest. And I turned to all kinds of things I shouldn't have turned to, guys and drugs and alcohol, for many years and tried to fill those voids. And I got married very young. So I was 22 years old when I got married. And I brought all of that into my relationship. And, um, you know, we were not following Jesus, much less. I didn't even know if my husband believed in God. That's how far away from God I was mm-hmm. when I got married. Cause my mom had passed away when I was a teen. I'm now 22, get married. I am not a fan of God. I think he's either not real because my mother died or he's just mean. Like he's, he's just mean to have taken my mom and left me and my two siblings without a mom and my dad moved on. And it was just a tough season where I really doubted Uh, my faith, even though I knew, (laughs) you know, like I said, where I came from, I had witnessed my mother's faith. um, I still chose to be very far from him. So I think that that, um, you know, season of my life really gives me a heart for that age group of people. And I continue to minister to that age group. I go into the juvenile prisons here in the Tampa Bay area and mentor young girls. I, um, you know, help with youth groups. I've been a part of youth ministry for many years. And I, um, also have a huge heart for girls in the foster system that are teen, teen girls in the foster system. Um, and like last night, every Sunday night, I go and um, there's this really cool program where about 75 girls come from different foster houses in the Tampa Bay area and we provide a meal, they provide a meal there, there's activities for them to do and there's a little boutique that's my favorite part, I work in the boutique and I help the girls find anything that they're needing and they get to shop for free so I've just always had a heart for that age group and I believe it really, God's given me that vision of that, that's where it really starts, you know, when, when kids start dating and they become a couple. I want that relationship to be built on Christ. When when these young kids or even older people get engaged, I want that relationship, that engagement to be built on Christ. And then when they're a married couple, also their marriage needs to be built on Christ. So God's just given me this vision that it's not just when you're married. And really, if um, I could reach people before they get married um, or when they're newlyweds, To be able to build that firm foundation, you know, on Christ, their own relationship with God um, so that they're a whole person coming in, you know, marrying another whole person. And then they're able to do the work of God together versus looking for that person to complete you um, coming into the marriage with those voids and, and those things that only God can fill. You know, um, and really looking to that other person, because that's where I was. I was looking for my Prince Charming, in you know, on the white horse and my white picket fence and my 2.5 kids um, in my house, you know, in and, and this American dream. Um, but I was building my own kingdom and I was I ended up being the foolish wife that they talk about in Proverbs 14, 1, tearing her own house down. Um, and I just want to help people on the front end to know, you know, how God intended it, (laughs) you know, what, what a wife, a godly wife looks like, um, versus what I, how I was living it out. And, and I think that the younger, the better. And like I said, I don't want it to just be married couples. I want, um, to reach people before they're married, you know, dating couples, engaged couples, married couples.
0: One of the hardest things that, um, we do in life is, uh, marriage, <laughs> I, at least that's been my experience. Um, I mean, we're all broken people, we're all sinners, And, um, you know, when you, when you take two, you know, the Bible talks about two becoming one and that is not uh, an instant thing. It's not an, it's not a simple thing. It's not an easy thing. You know, when you take two broken people, even if they are centered on Christ, um, there's a whole journey that, mm. that. We have to walk, and and actually the journey is part of how God is uh, refining us and shaping us and helping us become centered on Him. Um, a whole A whole journey of learning how to to live as one as a husband and wife. So, I, I agree. I think obviously. In a best case scenario, marriage is a challenge. You know, if you do have two people that are whole and wanting to follow Jesus and wanting to build their life, their marriage on that, their life together on Jesus, it's still a challenge. So. You know, helping people try to enter it um, without some of those hang-ups and misconceptions and and lies that we pick up from the world and from culture about where we're going to find true happiness and what success looks like in life and marriage. So it's it's incredible that you're ministering to these these young teenagers and adults who are who are almost certainly going to get married. Most people are going to end up married at some point. You know, what, what would you say are some of the things that you're trying to impress upon those people at that age that are still single? What are, what are some principles and practices that, that you're trying to instill now to set them up for success in the future?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think some of the main things um, that I've come to see are most valuable is, um, you know, one, to know yourself and, and work on your own self um, and your own discipleship. So seeking Jesus, you know, reading the Bible, your own prayer time, and really, like I said, entering the relationship kind of in your best possible state, if you will, you know, like as centered on Christ as you can. But um, and then knowing your enemy, knowing what you're up against um, and choosing unity. You know, I think a lot of people end up in these marriages and they're fighting against each other. And, and we have a real enemy, a real adversary. So, um, I love that quote from like the art of war where it says, if you know your enemy and you know yourself, you'll win like a hundred battles, you know? And so it's about really knowing those two things. And then I think also I tell my son all the time, look for someone who's not selfish you know, and, and look for somebody who you can sacrificially love. And that involves getting to know somebody, you know, really the the, the old age courting thing, you know, getting to know their whole family. Um, and I think a lot of, I didn't do that. I didn't take the time to do that. Um, I was dating and then I got married very quickly because of my situation. Like I didn't really have parents kind of a thing. And my life was a little different and unique, but, um, I think that's very vital, you know, um, because most of the time we're not in an arranged marriage. There's no gun being held to our head. So we're getting to choose, hopefully, who we're going to marry. And so being wise, you know, with that choice, um, I think is really critical. And a lot of people. I did not, you know, uh, go down that path. So I think one of the major issues that I see in marriage um, when I'm coaching couples that are already married and in difficult situations, whether through affair recovery coaching or through just some other area of intimacy or or communication issues that they're having in their, in their marriage, or even to just get re-centered on the fact of, of commitment, like are we committed do this? Has God called you to stay married? Um, then let's stop listening to all the other voices, you know, and let's commit. Um, so I think the main thing is selfishness. I hear from people, the number one issue I think (laughs) is is selfishness. And it, it really boils down to a kingdom principle where it's either God rule or self rule. There's only two kingdoms. And if, you know, I'm allowing God to rule, That's going to include my marriage like you said um, marriage is part of my discipleship marriage is one of the ways in which god refines me and really it's been probably the most powerful one of the powerfulest tools because my husband will will bring out the worst in me you know he'll show me the parts of me that still need saving you know um it's that's that's what he you know and i do the same for him and he's able to help me to have more patience And goodness and kindness, you know, all the fruit of the spirit is through me dying to myself. So I think that that's the huge thing that, you know, people need to realize. If you're not willing to die for yourself, you probably shouldn't, you know, to yourself, you probably shouldn't get married um, because you're going to have to do a lot of dying. It's just like following Jesus. You're going to have to do a lot of dying um, to yourself to follow him. And I'm, you know, co-leading a book right now, uh, Praying Like Monks, Living Like Fools. And the last chapter of that book is called Rebellious Fidelity. And it's this idea of this long obedience in the same direction with the Lord is hard because he says in the book, if we're honest, fidelity is boring. Hmm. And if we think about that, it made me think, wow, so many correlations to marriage. Uh, with that and why there is so much adultery or pornography or miscommunication or work people are workaholics or whatever, whatever, right. All the different selfish choices that people make in marriage. And it's because fidelity is boring. It's hard to be faithful forever. Jesus is, God is, God has that rebellious fidelity. He's always faithful. He's always true to us, but there are seasons where I waver, we all waver in you know our time in the Word or our prayer, our relationship with God, and we have to choose to have these rhythms, you know, uh, and develop these rhythms of prayer um, to make to choose to maintain the relationship. And I believe that's a huge thing within marriage. You know that we have to make that choice to continuously. Um, review what's working, what's not working, you know, what needs to go so that I can make more time for the Lord, what needs to go so I can make more time for my spouse. You know, it's the same type of, of, of principles, um, to me. Mm. And then the last thing, community, I think community is, is so powerful. It has been one of the key things that God has used to transform me. Um, You know, through Jesus, of course, but the community um, that I've been a part of to be able to have to be authentic, have authentic community, have the accountability in community, um, have other people, you know, like for me with the discipleship, I'm looking for women who are, are, are further along you know, on this discipleship journey than I am, who I see, man, they're chasing hard after Jesus, or I really admire uh, their marriage, you know, the way they talk to each other. Um, You know, there's just some couples you're around and you just know that they really do love their spouse. And there's other couples you're around where you're like, wow, he can't stand her or he, she does not like <laughs> right. him very much, right. you know? Right. Um, so just putting yourself in those situations, I would highly recommend that to young couples, mm-hmm. like find other couples that you admire, you know, and, and, and do life with them, ask to spend time with them. And it's the same with our discipleship. If you see that in another, you know, person, um, ask to spend time with them and, 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 you know, and, and start to emulate. It's that, you know, First Corinthians eleven one, Follow yeah. my example as I follow the <laughs> example of Christ. So find somebody who's following Christ and begin to emulate that, you know, and have those examples in your life.
0: Yeah, the, the, those are all great, great points. Um, you know, I had a friend who used to, describe what it takes to be a learner or what our, our attitude and character should be like as, as younger believers or younger couples who want to learn and, and, um, grow in the way that we see maybe an older, healthy couple or an older, healthy believer that we, we would love to be where they're at when they're, when we are their age. Yeah. And he, he grew up in the South. So he said that, uh, they had cats that weren't allowed in the house and they had a screen door and the cats would often be like just hanging on the screen door because they wanted to get into the house. Um, and that's the closest they could get. (laughs) So, uh, you know, be like, have that level of, of eagerness because I think so many times when we're young in the faith or, or we're a young couple, we may see those older believers and yet we don't want to impose. We don't, we don't want to, you know, force ourselves upon them. Um, but take the initiative and take ownership of your growth and your learning and, and ask, you know, ask and, and reach out. Take the initiative. Don't wait for the older believers to reach out to you. Hopefully they will. That, that's actually a, a great thing when there's a community of saints where the older believers understand the importance of mentoring and discipling and they're actively pursuing and reaching out to younger believers. But that may not be the situation that you find yourself in. You can still learn. Ultimately, it's on us to pursue Christ. Ultimately, it's on us to pursue growth and learning from others. So take those opportunities if the Lord has has placed those great examples that you admire uh, in your life. You know, something you said um, during, during your you're sharing there about helping younger single people. Um, you talked about things to look for in a potential spouse. And, and one of them, I think, was um, had to do with someone who's not selfish. Um, and I, I don't know if you specifically said it, but, you know, someone that's not going to be... Um, looking to you to be their savior which mm-hmm. you know that that was part of your story and uh, many of us I think we intermarriage with that misconception that oh this person is going to complete the uh, complete me this person is going to be the answer to those those longings and those those holes that I have in my soul they're going to fill fill that hole and um there's there's a certain level of that that I think is just normal that all of us maybe <laughs> um have hopes for our marriage that, that get um, recalibrated as we get further into our marriage. Uh, just a quick story, uh, I'll try not to, to lose the thread here, but about seven years into our marriage, um, my wife and I were, were talking and I can't remember what prompted the conversation, but we were basically talking about our marriage and where we found ourselves at that time. And, you know, she, she made the statement that, that she was just disappointed. And uh, I was so mad when, I, when she said that, because I was like, wait a second, like, I, okay, yes, I'm not a perfect person by any stretch. I've made mistakes as a husband. But, you know, if you, if you look at, if you look around, I've tried to be a good husband, a good father, a good provider. Um, and I, I don't think it was necessarily that she was saying that, that the relationship was boring. It was just that... And she didn't didn't mean it as an insult. What she was saying was that she had these ideas and ideals of what our marriage was going to look like. And in the early years of our marriage, she kept holding on to those and hoping that our marriage would get there. And she had reached a point where she had let let go of those things. And I guess maybe in similar to what we were talking about earlier, there was a, a little bit of disappointment that, hey, it didn't look the way I thought it would, the way I hoped it would. But that was essential because that was when we could start building our actual marriage. Okay, now let's talk about what our marriage is actually going to look like. And we can make it as rich and meaningful as we want. It just may not look like what we had expected. And a lot of those expectations are unreasonable because, you know, people are not going to be able to provide for us what we need. And even our significant others are not gonna be able to fill those holes that only only God can. And I do think that in this generation, especially, there's so much brokenness. Um, People are coming from such uh, damaged, broken homes. I see this with my boys. We've got three boys and our daughter is our oldest. And um, man, I have to say that a lot of the girls I, I, I'll i have like my spidey sense will be going off and I'll tell my boys like I don't see you ever being happy with this person because she's looking to you to be this rescuer and, and to if she's down she's wanting you to, to always encourage her to, or to pick her up so I think it's, it's great work that you're trying to do there to, to help boys and girls young men and young women um, learn how to find that in in God and, and not in someone else.
1: For sure. That's, that's the goal because I did (laughs) try to look for that in somebody else and many other things for many years. And Mm -hmm. no matter how much money I made, no matter how nice my house was, no matter how great we all looked on the outside, me and my husband and my kid, you know, um, Mm -hmm. there was so much brokenness and so much void on the inside and it was only something that God could fill. That was it. It, it mm. was, you know, there was nothing else. So, you know,
0: yeah. nothing else uh, is
1: going to satisfy.
0: I love what you said about, uh, what, what was it? Fidelity is boring. Is that?
1: Yeah, that's what, well, that's not my words. That's Tyler Stratton. Yeah. I can't take, I can't, <laughs> this is this Tyler and He said that, you know, rebel, his chapter is rebellious fidelity and that, you know, if we're rebellious honest,
0: fidelity, yeah.
1: Fidelity is boring. Yeah. That's chapter yeah. 10.
0: And I think that's the same thing that that I think that's why God gives us the scriptures and especially the wisdom books and and the Old Testament stories, yeah. narratives, because you really have to be able to see life as a whole to see a life well lived. And uh, we often confuse excitement with life. Excitement equals life. And so if we can just find that next experience Um, or we can get that next exciting, uh, purchase or, or good, um, possession that that's going to make us feel alive. And there is certainly like, there's that boost that you get in the Mm -hmm. moment. Um, but it ends up fading very quickly. It's like a sugar rush. And, you know, I, I, do think that in a sense you could say fidelity is boring, but it leads to a full life. And so we have to decide, well, what, what do I really want? You know, yeah. do I want that momentary excitement um, or do I want to have a, a fulfilled life? So, well, I know you've done a lot of work with couples. What, what are some of the top factors? <laughs> this could be a long list. So what are some of the things that you find yourself coming back to again and again with couples, things that are either misconceptions or practices that are destroying the marriages that, that you see in our culture today.
1: Yeah. I mean, I definitely see, you know, like I said, the number one thing really is that selfishness um, because the world is telling you to elevate yourself and it's all about you. And God is telling you to love him and love people. Um, And, you know, love your neighbor as yourself kind of put them first and so i think it just goes back to knowing the truth you know number 1 i think a lot of people don't know what's true and have gotten things just you know misconstrued um and i think also the three main issues god's shown me which is why i wrote a course that's coming out this summer but it's commitment communication and connection Those are the three kind of C's that he's given me. Um, And so I think that that's kind of the big issues that I'm seeing. You know, there's a commitment issue um, where that people aren't really recognizing that. Honestly, this marriage covenant is between me and God. So if God has called me to respect my husband, um, I don't just respect him when he's earned it or when I think I should. It's I respect him because God has told me to respect my husband and it's the same thing with the husband you know he doesn't just love his wife when he's feeling respected when things are going well in the relationship you know oh she respects me she makes me feel like I'm the man I'm awesome so yeah i'm going to love her and and fill her love tank no We love because Christ loved us and we love because it's obedience to God. So I think it goes back to that commitment and really reminding ourselves that first and foremost, our allegiance is to God and um, I've got to give an account to him and also that God has entrusted me with this spouse and, you know, he expects a return on his investment. You know, I'm, I'm going to give this guy better back, better to the Lord than I've received him. So I'm trying to, you know, constantly view, how can I help my husband make him, you know, I like to say, how can I make him awesome sauce? You know, how can I make Nathan the best that he can be? You know, how can I help him to follow the Lord as hard as he can follow him? How can I help him to excel in the work that God's given him to do? And how can I help him to love me better? You know, and so just going back to that that commitment and then looking at um, the communication, I think communication is huge, especially in the day this day of technology, everybody is on their phone. And um, hmm. so many people that I coach, one of their number one things is that their spouse is on their phone. Their spouse yeah. is distracted, whether it's yeah. legit like my husband. He gets off of work and he still has clients in, in Hawaii and other, other states that are on a different time zone than us in Florida. So he legitimately has to be on his phone um, after he gets home from work to handle things because he is the breadwinner right now. I'm, I'm pursuing this ministry. I'm doing other things. Thank God. And, and his income matters. So I don't want to get on him about being on his phone. But the reality is, is if he chooses to do that day in and day out, we're not going to have good communication. And so, you know, it goes back to looking at our boundaries, uh, talking about what are our boundaries with our phones, with our um all kinds of areas, you know, in our lives, we can get into a long conversation on that, but really having the communication that's necessary. A lot of people aren't even talking and the communication that they're having is very bad communication. Um, It's usually negative communication, critical communication, or very short and um, about things that have to get done, you know, kind of more like technical uh, information. And then lastly, Mm -hmm. that connection, a lot of people have, you know, Uh, not developed that connection. And just taking a look at the, you know, all the different levels of intimacy, obviously sex is one of them. There are a lot of people in sexless marriages, but also looking at other areas of intimacy, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, and, you know, cultivating that intimacy within their marriage, you know, are Mm -hmm. they praying together? Are they reading God's word together? Are they in community of like-minded people spurring them on? You know, um, what company are they keeping? You know, just all of those things uh, really affect your, you know, those three different areas of your marriage, what, how, your viewpoint of communication, your connection and, and your commitment level. Um, so just kind of looking at those three main areas or are what I feel God has shown me, I can kind of lump everything kind of into those three main categories, roughly.
0: Yeah, I love that. You know, the the commitment, the um, communication and the connection. And I know that you do have more resources that folks can check out at your website. I'll, I'll definitely make sure to put all of that in the show notes to this episode. If folks are interested in connecting more with you, either it, to get coaching or to go through some of the courses and online resources that you have, cool. then um, that'll be available in, in the links here. So I'm gonna throw you a little bit of a curveball. <laughs> so, uh, what I, I, I do think that um, intimacy is is such a challenge, and some of the people that I I know who are struggling in marriage, in many cases, um, it's it's because only one partner seems committed to working on the marriage. So maybe someone listening to this is, is thinking to themselves, well, okay, I'm on board. Um, I am committed. I want to be better connected to my spouse. Um, I want better communication, but right now it feels at least to me that I'm the only one. It's a one-sided thing. So what, what words would you have to share with someone who's in that kind of a scenario?
1: I would encourage that person to remember who God is and um, remember who we are in Christ and remember who we are to each other, you know, and that has made all the difference for me because I was in that situation. I was divorce minded. I wanted to leave my relationship, you know, my marriage. And I ended up, you know, coming to the well after 20 invitations and realized that um, I was constantly looking, waiting for him to do something different, hoping for him to do something. And going to that first conference, Renovated, gave me like that empowerment of realizing that if I surrendered myself uh, to God and I allowed him to do the work in me, and I began praying, you know, for my spouse and trusting God with the results and I started doing that in 2012. We, you know, we did not have a wedding ring. We were done. I just started attending the well. I went to that conference in the fall. And that opened my eyes to my role as a helpmate, what it looked like for me to be my husband's helpmate, what it looked like for me to submit, how submission was my power in my marriage, and how sex protected my marriage. So it went over your purpose as a helpmate, your power, Uh, you know, which is submission and your protection, which was sex. Those are the three main topics covered. And I began to apply those things that I learned without my husband. He was not, he didn't attend the conference. He didn't, you know, feel called to start changing himself, even though I shared all the information with him thinking, oh yeah, he should hear this. Right. But nothing was changing for him. But I kept on doing my part. I kept on. I wasn't saying if he did this, you know, oh, you know, I wasn't doing it for a little while to see if he would start doing something and then quit because he wasn't joining. I just continued trusting God, just doing my part for almost a decade now. And every time I've attended the conference – every two years or so and go over the material and I come back and me and my husband would have conversations about it and I would share with him what I was going to begin implementing and things I felt God calling me to change and I began changing those things and I continued to pray for my husband and I continued to uh, surround us with couples that I thought were healthy, like I said, that we're, we're in a good place that I admired that I wanted us to be like and he began, I believe, you know picking up some of those things from those men. He began talking to some of those guys. he began um, going to coffee hmm. and, and having meetings with those guys um, and, and seeing them on his own time. and God began to do that work. you know hmm. I can't change my husband. God can only do that but I can change myself. And I can choose my responses, um, you know, regardless of my husband's words, regardless of his actions, I still was able to choose my responses. And I did that for probably a good six years um, before I began to see some fruit um, in my husband and to be frank and honest, like when I first started attending that conference, one of the things we had to fill out in that survey was, you know, do you want sex more than your husband or your husband wants sex more than you? And it was like, I wanted it more than my husband. And, and I was a, a rare like unicorn at that time at that conference, because most women were saying, oh, I have headache or I am just not in the mood. or I've had the worst day with the kids like I, just not today, maybe tomorrow. And just all these, you know, almost every almost most of the women at the conference were were like not want, you know wanting to have sex if anything, and I was the opposite. So coming into that, I just thought this is like hopeless. Like these people can't even relate to me, you know. Right. So it was like a hard journey for me and, and of prayer and all of that. But honestly, six years later, I mean, my husband began pursuing me. He began initiating like intimacy completely like changed mm. because he saw. God's design. He began to listen to me. Like I said, it took six years of me explaining how sex protects our marriage for him to understand how sex protects the marriage and how important it was to God and how it was his design. And, and he began to make changes in that area. It was the same thing with our communication. You know, I had to learn what his temperament was. He had to learn about my temperament. And it took years of us learning about each other's temperaments and how he's very task oriented. He is very task-oriented, and he is not people-oriented at all. So I honestly, like, he didn't even see me. He didn't even see people. He has very few relationships in general. It's just how he's wired, how God wired him. And he's a very productive person, a very efficient person, a very detail-oriented person. And he does so many amazing things with those gifts and talents and abilities. But one of his gifts and talents is not... You know, forming relationships and and all of that. So I've been able to, to, to learn that about him. So therefore, I'm not offended. It's not that he doesn't want to have a relationship with me. It's not that he doesn't, you know what I mean? It's how he's wired. And same thing with him. He was able to learn, I'm not detail-oriented. I like to have fun. I'm more spontaneous. And so, you know, I had to tighten up a little bit. He had to loosen up a little bit, you know. And we started to figure out our communication. And we started to figure out our love languages. And we were doing it all wrong. You know, I was trying to love him by doing things all these acts of service and all these positive words because I'm, I'm a firmer I'm like oh you look great today I love your outfit and oh you're doing such a great job and then I'll bring you a meal and I'll you know do things I'm just I, acts of service and words of affirmation and, and he wasn't feeling anything you know his love language come to find out was quality time and that was the last thing I was doing I was spending no time with him because I was so busy And so affirming, you know, I, I thought I was filling him up, but he wasn't. And it was the same for me. And so now I, you know, I was able to through learning all that and through communicating, just sit with him you know, just sit. And,
0: and if he's watching a TV show and he's so happy, I know it took me, it took me so long to realize (laughs) with Cindy. Uh, yeah, same thing. Watching TV. I was like, this is not quality time. We're, we're actually, we're not even interacting, but for her, it was, it was quality time just to be together in a chill environment So, yeah, that's been one that that we've had to to learn as well. What were the three P's? I know you mentioned those that that is a focus for the Renovate Conference.
1: Yeah. Purpose, power and protection.
0: Yeah. And the Renovate Conference is still something that happens every two years. Is that right?
1: Yes. It's actually happening this year, September the 16th. And it's telecast, simulcast. So anybody can participate all around the U.S. And people um, did that. Um, last two years ago when we did it and, um, it was amazing. So they could go to renovated dot live
0: mm-hmm. and
1: check out all the information if they're interested. And it is for yeah. women only. It's, it's a wife
0: yeah uh, conference. Well,
1: you can host in your home, a group, um, right. of women in your home and, and go through it together. It's very powerful. It was a game changer yeah. for my marriage.
0: Well, I hope people will take advantage of that. If we can find information, I know it's several months away, but that way people can put it on the calendar and uh, plan to participate in that, it, whether they're close enough to be there in person or if, um, if they choose to do it remotely. So Janelle, how can people learn more about your work or if they want to have their marriage become more Christ-centered, um, you know, what would you suggest them? What, what next steps would you suggest, suggest they take?
1: Yeah. So, um, you know, the next steps would be basically any of those, uh, the conferences coming up renovated.live. If they're a, a woman, um, that would be a great resource for them and a lot of you know, my material kind of comes from that. I mean, it, it was just pivotal and changed my marriage. So it is also uh, a lot of that language is used in my coursework. And a lot of my resources do come from that marriage conference. So that's huge. Um, another thing is going to crycenteredcouple.com. There are free resources there. You can even do like a free call with me if you have just questions or I want to do like a consult to see, you know, kind of what would be the best next step for you. And then this summer I will have some courses um, in case people just want to do something on their own and not have one-on-one coaching or, you know, be part of, of a group, you can do the courses. And then for right now, something that they can join that starting May 1st is going to be what I'm calling our Christ Centered Couple uh, Team Unity. So it's CCC Team Unity. And that's a monthly subscription that they can be a part of and join the community. It's much like a Facebook group, but it's hosted... Um, you know, on its own platform. So as to not be distracting and kind of pull you off like Facebook would, you know, um, it's just kind of, t- you're going to go on there and you're just doing some marriage work while you're in there. So it's, it's a very, uh, focused, you know, group and, that group is going to be amazing for accountability. We're going to have weekly challenges. The very first challenge that we're doing starting May 1st is going to be the Speak Life Challenge. And each week we're going to give you ideas and opportunities to speak life into your marriage over the next three weeks, the first three weeks of May. So that's something they can be a part of. Nathan and I are going to go live on that platform every Tuesday night. So that will be a great time of fellowship for other couples and um, also to encourage each other in the challenges. We'll also be giving away uh, a date night every month um, if you're participating in the challenge and posting and commenting um, and being part of Team Unity. So, you know, those are some ways they can kind of jump in right now. Also, the Well Training and Discipleship Ministry is um, a women's again, a women's ministry, so sorry to the guys out there, but um, it is an incredible resource as well. You can go to thewelltraining.org and um, and check out resources. They always have trainings and conferences um, almost all of their trainings and resources and classes are all free. The conferences are at a cost. Um, but um, there are a lot, a lot of free resources that the well does offer. And that also is just incredible for discipleship in general, not marriage specific, but again, marriage is part of your discipleship. So, uh, you know, it does tie in.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's, that's a ton of starting points for people and i hope i hope folks will take advantage of it as as a guy i love hearing that there are these types of resources for my wife and for ladies you know kind of like what you were saying that one of the things that really turned things around for for your husband was not you talking him into these things but him being able to get exposure to other men who who he could learn from. And in the same way as as husbands, we should be encouraging our wives to be part of communities that can help them. Guys, it's going to come back to us. Like there's going to be a benefit. So for sure, uh, I hope that whether you are a wife or whether you're a husband listening to this and you think that this might be a good resource for your wife, that you'll check out the links and Janelle's ministry, Christ Centered Couple. Um, We'll have those. And it's just getting started next month. So how cool to jump in on the front end. It's obviously going to be a very active group. Like sometimes you join these groups and at least I have. They're not necessarily all religious groups, but just like personal development groups. And you go in and it's crickets. Like nothing's actually happening in those groups, but obviously you guys already have a plan that there's gonna be regular interaction and opportunities to, to grow and to learn. So I hope folks will, will check it out and, and be a part of that. Janelle, thanks so much for coming on today and sharing with us from what God has taught you and what he's doing in your life. Would love to have you on again in the future to see how things are going and, and what he's doing through Christ-Centered Couple.
1: Thank you so much, Andrews. It it's just such a, like, a I don't know, such exciting time to be on this because I've admired this, you know, uh, ministry that you, the work that you're doing with Into the Harvest. And I watch the podcast regularly. And um, I've been in this season of this, like I said, just really chasing hard after God and seeking him in prayer like I've never sought him before and feel called to launch this. And it was like, you know, no coincidences that you would reach out to me right such a time as this. So, I just feel just honored to, you know, be used by God, um however he sees fit. I just want him to get all the glory and for everything to point to him.